Welcome to Dream Business Radio, the place to create your dream business now. Get ready for some inspiration, some encouragement, some proven business building strategies, and a couple of new ideas that you haven't even thought of. It's time to leave slow and steady as she goes to the other entrepreneurs, because this program is all about speed and fast results. And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim Palmer. Well, good afternoon, everybody. This is Captain Jim Palmer coming to you from Rhode Island still, and I am very excited. I have a guest that um, we have a mutual friend from a, uh, a previous week, Beth Watson. My guest today is Jeffrey Deckman. I'm going to read his bio, and we'll jump right in. We're, I'm already eight minutes behind my schedule because we have connected <laughs> in a big way in the green room. Jeff is nationally recognized. He's a thought leader and award-winning author on the next evolution of leadership, conscious leadership. His recently published book, Developing the Conscious Leadership Mindset for the 21st Century, won two national Stevie Awards and is an Amazon bestseller in the occupational and organizational psychology category. Jeff is a serial entrepreneur who has bootstrapped two multi-million dollar companies, several nonprofits, and multiple political organizations. Since 2005, he's been a leadership and organizational performance consultant, He's helped scores of new clients grow by strengthening their leadership teams and helping them uncover, then mobilize the hidden human capital that drives performance and profits in the 21st century. Jeff is also a uh, fellow cancer survivor, although he put cancer thriver, which I totally take that. That's pretty cool. Jeff, how are you doing today? Welcome to the program. I'm doing excellent, Jen. How are you? Doing great. So so you're a coach. You're You're into the whole... Um, you know, the, the mind, body, spirit, you're, you're, we're close to the same age, I think. And, but yet you're also tackling something that's really 21st century, which is, you know, conscious leadership, multi-generational leadership and things like that. So we got a lot to talk about, but I always like to kind of dig in a little bit and figure out, are you a first generation entrepreneur? Or did you have a, a either parents or grandparents or who, who inspired you to go down the entrepreneurial journey? I am a first-generation entrepreneur, and I will tell you that uh, the morning, uh, morning I decided to become an entrepreneur, if you would have asked me if I would ever start my own business at the age of 26, I would have said, absolutely not in a million years. So, so there was a book a long time ago, it was called Get Fired and Get Fired Up. And I thought that was interesting because although I, although I, 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 said, I don't say I got fired, my position was eliminated. <laughs> That's the way I, I cleanse it for myself. But um, when my position was eliminated, I still had four teenagers at home. My wife was working part time as the kids were, were getting older. But for the most part, um, she was a stay at home mom. So I was really the sole support of our family. When I lost my job, I was like, man, I even though I knew I'd be an entrepreneur at some point, now is not the time to struggle. And, um, but you know, the, I think uh, a good man upstairs had other plans and a year and a half later, I said, well, if I can't find another gig, I might as well start my own business. So it's amazing what, what motivates us sometimes. Yeah. Well, what happened with me real quickly was I had a, uh, uh, I was in a kind of middle management position. Like I said, it was about 25, maybe 26. I was about to move up to the next level. I had a discussion with my boss where I realized the next level was very corporate and political and there was a lack of authenticity in it. 
And I walked out of that meeting and I said, I can't take the next step, which means I can't grow here. So if I think I can run a business better than these people can, I should call my own bluff. And, and that's what I did. I, uh, I called a guy who was doing some contract work for me, small company, and said, look, I'm, I'm looking to leave here and uh, go somewhere else. Would you consider bringing me in as a partner? And uh, he said, sure. And that was in 1983, 1981, I'm sorry. Uh, and here it is. And I like to tell people I've been working for a jerk ever since. And that jerk happens to be me. <laughs> We're the best boss and the worst boss we've ever had. Yep. It's so funny. Jeff, how did you get into this, um, you know, this whole conscious leadership uh, niche? Well, it was a combination of a couple of things. Uh, as I was building my companies, I never was really funded extremely well to the point to where I could ignore the value of my human capital. You know, sometimes you have so much financial capital, you don't have to worry about how you treat your human capital. So uh, I really had to learn how to uh, work with people, collaborate with people, communicate with people so we could maximize what I call our bigger no. And that stands for I know what I know, they know what they know, and together we have a bigger no. So, uh, and plus it's, it's my my personality to, to do that, to try to work with teams. Uh, the other thing that happened, so I, I had a couple of decades of doing that, but oh, probably about 18 years ago, I, uh, I started looking at doing some real serious work my own, uh, you know, through a couple of spiritual paths. And uh, through that, I ended up being coached by a gentleman for 12 years who was really instrumental in helping me to see where my ego was, and I would have sworn it wasn't. So uh, I began a spiritual journey. And when those two things started to combine, it changed who I was as a leader. But probably the most important thing is the fact that our, uh, our society and the world has changed out of the command and control, top-down leadership method of the industrial age. The industrial age is gone forever. And we're now in this knowledge, information, and innovation age. So uh, what's happening is we have the four most independent-minded generations in the history of humanity in the workforce, and none of them want to be told what to do without understanding why. So those, uh, those dynamics have forced us to get to a place where we have to develop uh, a different leadership style that matches the consciousness of the 21st century workforce. It's really interesting. Well, first of all, I like they said the bigger no. I mean, that's really the essence of masterminding, right? What you know, what I know, and what we know together. Um, and and when you said uh, you know the knowledge and information age, that's so true. I mean, right now we're an economy which is almost full employment. I think they've always said three percent, which is weird. I thought full employment would be zero, but but there's so many jobs out there that there aren't people to fill. And not that there's not people that are still looking for work, but I think the type of jobs that are out there right now really are knowledge and information based, not so much um, assembly line based. Does that, do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, very much so. I mean, the internet has facilitated that. Uh, you know, we are in a knowledge economy and knowledge workers are the driving force in this new age. You know, uh, when we went from the agricultural age to the industrial age, the, the, the workforce went from uh, really manual labor outside to mechanized and automated labor inside. 
And that was a fundamental shift. And now what's happening is we're going from manual labor inside to mind power and uh, knowledge labor working in front of keyboards. And uh, we are, especially as leaders, it's really hard to tell if someone is working hard for you or not, because we can't look out in the field or look out in the factory and see that they're productive or stand around drinking coffee. Uh, and because everybody's facing a, uh, a screen of some sort. And I'm only one toggle away from Facebook or looking busy if the boss shows up. So that, that changes the whole leadership dynamic and that I need to create an environment by establishing a leadership consciousness where people want to work with me and for me to achieve the goals that we've, we've established as an organization. So uh, it, we can't do things just with authority, power, and force and get the type of results we need. We need collaboration, communication, facilitation, and patience. Uh, we need to see the human in the human. We can't just see them as uh, cogs in a machine. And it's really challenging a lot of people. There are some folks that don't want that new methodology, so they, they won't adapt. And there are others that are open to it, but they don't know how. So my book specifically deals with a lot of the how. How do you go in and start shifting your consciousness so that you become someone people will follow? And how can I give you the tools to be able to start from wherever you are and go to what your next step is? It's so interesting, Jeff, that, um, you know, when Stephanie, as I mentioned in the green room, she was 25 years running a pretty large um, daycare facility, like 20 teachers and stuff. Of course, most of them are, you know, 20s, early 30s. And there was a time, you know, I mean, I remember when we got our first cell phone, we shared it, you know, and it, it, it didn't hardly do anything except make phone calls. But there was a time when it, it really did seem wrong to get have your phone with you, like it wasn't something you needed. And now it's to someone in my generation where we still sort of have that mentality when you're working with uh, workers in different generations, it's like, it's very, they don't even understand not having a phone in their hand or in their back pocket. You know, I mean, sure, you can remember before you had to get to the bank by three o'clock on Friday. There was no such thing as a debit card. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's a very, it is very much a generational thing. It is. I mean, I'm old enough to remember. I started my career in the cable television industry, uh, first as a, in construction, then became an engineer. And I remember the first time I heard about this thing called cell phones, and I was thinking, that's ridiculous. That is never going to take off. And I was in the technology uh, industry and, you know, here it is now. And it's about, uh, oh, I don't know how many years later and nobody can imagine not even having one. Right. Yeah. But, and when they first came out, they were the size of a small suitcase. But anyway, you know, I was interested. I looked in your book, um, uh, developing the, the conscious leadership mindset and First of all, it's a 180 page book, but there's only three chapters, which that made me smile. I mean, I've written seven books and I'm like, three chapters, they're big chapters. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, I mean, just, just out of curiosity from an author's standpoint, did you, does, did, did the main message of your book simply break down into three chunks or is that just the way you wrote the book? I was just curious about that. Well, the, uh, the, the story behind the book is incredibly long, so I'll, I'll merciless I'll mercifully keep it short I started writing a book probably 12 years ago 
and it was going to be on leadership called the Bigger No Principles. It's an eight-step leadership uh, program I put together. I've been teaching it for 10 years. And I'm, I'm, I've never written anything, you know? So uh, I struggled and struggled and struggled and I, I got away from it and it wouldn't leave me alone and I came back to it. And eventually what I realized after about eight years was I'm writing the wrong book uh, because I started seeing things within the organization that were necessitating that change. And I thought, well, that's what I should write about. So I started writing about these three forces that exist behind the org chart that drive all performance. They're, their tribes, their knowledge networks, and their cultures. So I started writing about that. I had a, uh, an interruption in my life last, uh, last spring. And I woke up in October and I said, dang it, I've been writing, I've been trying to write a book for over a decade and I have nothing. I'm going to have something done by January 1st. So I don't know where it came from, but what that did was that forced me to look at what is the most efficient book I could read that, or write that would have the biggest impact. Uh, and I've, uh, when I was, do I was rewriting my website and as I've been talking to people and coaching people, they would refer to these things called Jeff-isms. And I, I asked somebody, I said, what the heck's a Jeff-ism? They said, well, you have a certain way of making a point that is poignant. So I thought, you know, I'm going to write a book on Jeffisms, and that's how I came up with the concept. So each page is a point unto itself, and it's designed to be like a contemplation seed. You read it, and then on the left-hand side of the of that page where the contemplation point is, uh, is a space for you to write in what you think about what I just said. And then the idea is go away and think about that for a couple of days, come back and then jot down what it means to you now. And I learned through my spiritual path that that is a very powerful way for me to help expand my understanding about something that I may even disagree with, is to walk around with it for a couple of days and, and see what it evolves into. So uh, it was from October till the Friday before Christmas, I would just get these little things that would come to me and I would email them, I would email them to myself and that uh, Friday before Christmas, I sat down, printed them all out. I had seven pages of them uh, that I knew I had to strip down. So for the next two weeks, I kind of locked myself in my writing room and I didn't have any meetings. And I just immersed myself in this book. And that's how it came out. It just kind of unfolded in those, in those three categories. You know, um, so in chapter one, you have something called the organizational trinity, tribes, knowledge networks and cultures. Can you talk briefly about that? Yeah, uh, one of the most important thing, uh, changes of thinking that I have had in my career is to realize organizations aren't org charts. They are a series of tribes. Uh, an organization is a tribe of tribes and the tribes are broken up into several categories. One is the primary tribe, which is the whole organization. And then you have departmental tribes, finance, engineering, operations, etc. But you also have position based tribes, frontline workers, middle management, senior workers, etc. And these tribal dynamics are constantly at work <clears throat> and constantly at, at play. Uh, so much so that McKinsey uh, did a study a while back and they came out and they said that 67% of all work that gets done in organizations is done outside of the org chart structure and in these informal networks or tribes. So 
once I started looking at them at, at tribes, then it really helped me to understand how to engage those people better, uh, how to identify tribal leaders that may not have a position on the org chart, but the people trust them, uh, the importance of engaging, setting yourself up as a leader or as a manager, as a valued trading partner, not as an authority figure. Uh, and uh, so that really changed quite a bit. As far as knowledge networks are concerned, I spent 20 years designing computer networks. And uh, computer networks and teams are follow basically the, the same fundamental networking principles when you design them. So every computer network needs information processing devices. Every team has information processing devices. They're called people's brains. Uh, every network has to have software and applications and programs that tell it what it's going to do. Every team has to have training, knowledge, and experience. Every network has to have uh, strong communication links. You know, you're old enough to remember the, the DSL and the dial-up modems and, oh, yeah. and how slow everything went. Well, today we have fiber, so everything goes fast. The equivalent of that in a team uh, are the relationships and the level of trust amongst the team. So the point of that book, which is my, my second book, is on that, that trinity, is uh, within that is, is I teach how to design a human network like a computer network because when you do that, then individuals become as exponentially powerful in a team as what an individual computer becomes once you network it. And then the, the part about culture, uh, what I do with that is I blow up the myth that you know everybody should have a Google or an Apple culture or something like that. And I just really bring it right down to the entry level, which is the people on the, in the organization and in the tribes, let them define their culture. And as long as it's, it's based on authenticity, integrity, and respect, construction guys are going to be a little more rough edged than maybe the finance people. But let, that, let the people define their culture. And then you provide the guidance uh, and the, uh, the leadership to ensure that that stays healthy. Uh, and that uh, it doesn't slip into chaos every now and then. Jeff, what do you think is the biggest impediment to becoming a trusted leader today? Ego. There, bingo. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. And, you know, in my training class, I the second, the first principle is there is a bigger no. You know, I mean, obviously, more people together know more than any one person could. But the second principle is called domesticate the dog. And the dog is the ego. And the analogy I make is that, you know, uh, egos are like dogs. Every, everybody, pretty much everybody has one and they're fine. But if they're not domesticated, if they're not trained, uh, they bark, they bite, they get and sniff in inappropriate places. And one barking uh, dog activates other dogs to bark, just like one e active ego activates other egos. So, so it's really important that as leaders, we especially in today's environment, we take a deep look at where is our ego? Where does it work for us? Where does it work against it? Where does it deny its existence? You know, like a dog, a dog looks in a mirror, doesn't see itself. The ego never sees itself. It's our higher self that sees the ego. So what we want to do is we want to get more in tune with the spiritual side of who we are, what I call our inner elder, as opposed to relating to ourselves as our outer ego. 
And just that exercise alone will, will change your life and change how you lead and change those that are around you. I'm curious. Of, so I, I know you're a coach and you do some work with uh, companies, Jeff. Do you find um, our younger companies, do they sort of get this automatically? Like, let's say you got a company that's thriving under a CEO that might be 40 versus a company that's been around and the CEO might be 60. Is, the, is that leadership uh, generational? I, I don't paint with a broad brushstroke. I'm just curious where most of the challenge lies. Is it with the older companies? Uh, not, not really. I have found some of the biggest obnoxious, clueless egos in millennials. Okay. Uh, what I, what I do see is that, uh, with older leaders, depending upon their mindset, you know, I'm 63, but I'm still wide open, you know, cause I spent years in technology. I'm still wide open to innovation and change and, and that type of stuff. So, uh, so I don't fit into that traditional model, but you know, it's, it's a consciousness. It's, am I open or am I locked down into my way? So uh, the problem with the younger folks is that they haven't had enough experiences where their ego has worked against them to be re receptive enough to be able to work with uh, as easily as what some of the older folks are. Uh, but no, ego is a non-discriminatory affliction. Uh, and, you know, I, I've had people ask me about, you know, women leadership. And I, my two biggest clients, one was 650 employees, the other was 450 employees. They were both uh, literally 90 and 93% women with the leadership being women. And the problems I saw in those organizations and the complaints I heard from middle management up and frontline workers and up were identical to organizations that were primarily male driven. It was fascinating. I never expected to see that, but I spent three years in environments working with, with those two companies. And it just taught me that consciousness is consciousness and ego is ego. And uh, it's not gender specific and it's not generation specific. Wow. Yeah, people are people. We haven't changed all that much in the last 50,000 years. We just have, you know, we don't walk around, we drive around. Uh, and we don't use smoke signals, we use the internet. But you know, it's so interesting. I bet if you had asked, a, you know, done a, done a reasonable survey of a cross section of people who would have bigger egos, male CEOs or female CEOs, I bet 80% of the people would be, say, the male CEO companies. Yeah, you know, there was an interesting study done, and I can't remember who it was done by. It was like Gallup or one of those groups. And what they did was they interviewed top CEO women. And they said, if you had your choice between having a support team of all men or all women, what would you pick? 83% of them said we'd pick men. They went to senior C-level uh, executives that were all women, and they asked them, if you could have a, work for a CEO that was a man or a woman, what would you pick? And almost 80% of them said a man. Wow, that is fascinating. Yeah. I got time for one, one more question. I want to go back to your book, which is called Developing the Conscious Leadership Mindset. In chapter three, you say resiliency is superior to sustainability. Can you talk briefly about that, Jeff? 
Yeah, well, uh, I spent three years as a partner in a think tank, and I got to hang out with a guy from Australia who did some really cool international consulting. And he introduced me to this concept of resiliency, and I've since studied with him. And basically, uh, the, the best way it was put to me was sustainability is the ability to be knocked down and get back up to where you were. Resiliency is when you get knocked down, you come back to where you were, but you bounce further ahead because you're smarter, you're wiser, and you're tougher. So a lot of people get caught up in this, we want to be a sustainable organization, which, which is fine. But if you really want to be a, a 21st century organization and next level, you have to be resilient because resilient requires adapt, adaptability and constant learning. So it, it's a slam dunk. You want to be resilient, not sustainable, if you want to continue to grow and build as a person or an organization. Well, good. I want to give you a chance to uh, plug your book and how can people find you on the internet? I know we just connected on social media and things like that. Yeah, well, my website is easy. It's uh, jeffreydeckman.com. I have a YouTube channel. Just go into YouTube and Google Jeffrey Deckman and you'll see some uh, videos. And some of the videos are explaining these concepts and some of the videos are explaining the math and the finances behind why you should make some of the changes with, within the organization. And, uh, you know, between those two places and my, my email is jeffrey at jeffreydeckman.com. So I'm, I'm easy to get in touch with. Well, wonderful. I'm going to uh, definitely check out your YouTube channel because we're in there all the time. Stephanie and I just started a YouTube channel for our, our floating home adventures. And we're trying to master the art of building an audience and things like that. So I will check yours out this afternoon when I go back in there. But what a fascinating guest, Jeff. And by the way, folks, Je Jeffrey and I are probably about uh, eight or 10 miles from each other, we figured out, <laughs> which is pretty interesting. I've talked to people all over the world. Jeff, thanks so much for being my guest. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. This has been an awesome interview, and I appreciate the opportunity. Wonderful. Hey, fe hey friends and folks, that, that finishes up this outstanding interview. Yeah, I think I can say that because I was here and it was outstanding. <laughs> so is Jeffrey. And um, I really want to thank you for tuning in week after week. We're, into, we're approaching seven years now with Dream Business Radio. So uh, I appreciate you. If, if this is the only place we're connected, you should fix that error by connecting with me on social media as well. Facebook, uh, my website is getjimpalmer.com. And um, I have a free Facebook group called Build Your Dream Business Now. Uh, but that is it. Until this time next week, another fantastic interview. I am Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach, and you take good care. Now it's time to go implement what you've learned. Great ideas are nice, but results only happen through action and implementation. So stay focused. Kick all distractions to the curb. Sleep a little less if you have to. And create your dream business now so you too can live your dream lifestyle. To learn about building your dream business, join Jim's free Dream Business Facebook community at dreambizgroup.com. That's dreambizgroup.com. <laughs> See you next week for more Dream Business Radio.